You are listening to a random attempt at comedy on WWSU 106.9, Dane's Right Choice. I'm your host, Random Allen, the man who shows that you can have a whole show based around name puns. Just kidding, we talk about movies and classic rock too. Now kick back, relax, and enjoy the next hour. This week on the show, we are joined by famous voice actress Jessie Flower, voice of fan favorite character Toph Bayfon on the Emmy Award winning series Avatar The Last Airbender. The views and opinions expressed on Random Temp Comedy are my own and do not reflect the views and opinions of WWSU 106.9 FM or Wright State University. Enjoy this cover of the theme from Avatar The Last Airbender by Samuel Kim, and we'll be back.
Hello and welcome to Random Attempt at Comedy. Today we are bringing you the most off-the-wall random content Wright State has to offer. This week we have a very special show for you today, folks. It's our Avatar show. Due to the special occasion of being able to interview one of the show's voice actors, I want to make the whole show about Avatar. For our second and third segment, I will be interviewing Jesse Flower, voice of the ever-popular Top Bayfon on the show, about getting her start in acting, working on Avatar and Korra, and what she's up to right now. Let's get into it. Avatar has always held a very special place in my heart as one of my favorite animated shows. I discovered it around 2005 when I was a kid, and it blew me away because nothing was ever like it on Nickelodeon at the time. I started watching the show with my dad, and we both were hooked. For those of you who have never watched Avatar before, I'll let the introduction explain. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. My grandmother used to tell me stories about the old days. A time of peace. When the Avatar kept balance between the Water Tribes, Earth Kingdom, Fire Nation, and Air Nomads. But that all changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar mastered all four elements. Only he could stop the ruthless firebenders. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years have passed, and the Fire Nation is nearing victory in the war. Two years ago, my father and the men of my tribe journeyed to the Earth Kingdom to help fight against the Fire Nation, leaving me and my brother to look after our tribe. Some people believe that the Avatar was never reborn into the Air Nomads and that the cycle is broken. But I haven't lost hope. I still believe that somehow, the Avatar will return to save the world. The show was crafted like a fantasy epic, but it also knew how to balance that with humor. It has some of the most likable and well-written characters that I've ever seen, who grow and change by the end of the show. It's also a very adult show that handles topics like death, trauma, and survivor's guilt in a very mature way. I think what drew me the most to Avatar was that its world was heavily inspired by Eastern culture. It's a very multicultural show, comprised of all minority characters, which was very progressive for its time. All the major nations in the show take inspiration from various Eastern cultures, such as the water tribe deriving its culture and clothing from the Inuit people, or the air nomad being a direct parallel to Tibetan Buddhist monks. The show is overflown with Eastern spirituality, including concepts like reincarnation, meditation, and preservation of life. Additionally, the show's various bend and forms are all derived from real Chinese traditional Kung Fu styles. The show excels at its world building and storytelling, creating vast cities and beautifully drawn landscapes to complement its animation style. The show won an Emmy after it was finished and, reci- and received high critical acclaim. The show is so good that when it got re-released on Netflix earlier this year, it became the highest performing animated show on Netflix and then became number one, like, of all shows on Netflix for a good month. This recent resurgence of Avatar popularity has exposed it to many new fans. If you haven't seen Avatar, you really need to watch it. It's really hard to do it justice in just a few words. 
But word of advice, if you're a newcomer, do not watch the live-action movie. And it's directed by M. Night Shyamalan. And essentially, it drains all the likability from the show. It Essentially, it has the same plot overall, but it takes out all those moments of character development. It takes all the, all the humor and essentially turns the show into a lifeless husk. We talked about it very briefly on episode three. I don't know why a live-action movie version of Avatar even really needed to be made in the first place, but it was not done well. And trying to cram a whole season of about, I think the first season is around 13 episodes, into a two-hour movie, you missed so much. They had to cut out so much because you're missing all this character development, all these like little scenes that actually like enhance the story that they just had to cut. And basically everything that anybody says in the film is just exposition. They are planning on creating a new Avatar series on Netflix, which the original creators were originally involved with, but then recently they have left the, they've left the Netflix project. And I've heard some interesting things about it, which I don't know if I'm like on board for another live action an- like Avatar animated project, but we'll see where they go with it. So we are going to cut to a short little commercial break. And when we return, Jesse Flower will be joining us for the interview. We'll be right back, folks. Enjoy Penny Lane by The Beatles, and we'll be back with the interview. Penny Lane, there is a barber showing photographs Of every head he's had the pleasure to know And all the people that come and go Stop and say hello On the corner is a banker with a motor car The little children laughing him behind his back Penny Lane is in my ears and in my eyes 
Hello and welcome back to Random Tempting Comedy. For our final segment this week, we are joined by a very special guest. She's a Yale University graduate and has lended her voice acting talent to anime classics such as Finding Nemo, The Emperor's New Groove, and Meet the Robinsons. But she's probably most well known for her role as Top Bayfon in the Emmy award-winning animated series Avatar The Last Airbender. Jessie Flower, everybody, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> We appreciate you being on. So two questions up front, like out the gate. Do you usually go by Jesse or Michaela? And how does it feel to play the best character on Avatar? Well, <laughs> uh, I, I typically go by Michaela. Michaela is my birth name. But when it comes to conventions and, you know, signing things, I typically stick to Jesse because that's how I was credited in the show. So I kind of return to my voice actress alter ego whenever I'm talking about avatar stuff specifically but my you know my instagram and my personal you know friends family everybody calls me michaela so i will respond to either uh and how does it feel playing the best character i mean i have to agree with you on that front but uh it was um (laughs) it was pretty fantastic i think a lot of us didn't really know the impact we were going to have while recording it so it was a very you know wholesome and fun experience and it was it was great fun playing Toph um and there was you know I don't know not not any pressure of like okay we're creating this big thing like it has to be perfect or it has to be this way it was just a very organic it was a very organic experience so it was super super fun and uh, I'm honored to have played her so moving on to our questions what I researched said that you started acting in commercials when you were about four years old What's your earliest memory as an actor? I I have little tidbits from pretty early on. My first acting experience was in Oliver, actually. Before I did the commercial, uh, I was in the musical Oliver as an orphan. And I just have very, very faint snippets of, you know, I was just an an orphan, you know, singing food, glorious food with my little bowl on stage. Um, And I remember that vaguely. And then you know, right after that went into the kind of commercial world. So that's my first kind of memory of that. Um, I also remember singing around my living room when I was three, but you know, that's, that's more at home acting. But I do remember a snippet of being on stage performing that song when I was in Oliver. So that's my earliest, earliest official performance memory. (laughs) So what inspired your parents to move to LA and start sending you to auditions to be an actor at such an early age? Is there a story behind it? Um, yes, nothing, nothing having to do with me, actually. My mom wanted to be an actress and had wanted to go out to California for a while. We were uh, living in southern Indiana, and that's where the rest of my family is. And um, she, you know, was like, oh, maybe I'll go to UCLA and like study theater. And, you know, my grandparents were like, no, (laughs) we're not paying for that. And my mom's like, you know, I should have just figured it out and like got over and made it all happen. But then, you know, I probably wouldn't be here. So I'm kind of thankful for that. But uh, she finally, you know, had me and was just like, you know what, I'm just gonna go. There's not like a reason there, you know, I'm not I'm waiting around for something to kind of offer itself to me. And it it doesn't usually you kind of just have to like make that decision. So we packed up a U-Haul, went west. And then I actually asked about acting because one of my friends was in a commercial. Very, very common. In L.A., like, you're just, you could touch, <laughs> touch down in LAX and you'll probably meet an actor, like, at baggage check. You know, it's very... Yeah, they're everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere. So, yeah, one of my friends was in a commercial and I was like, hey, that looks fun. Can I do that? And she's like, let's put you in a musical in the community and just, like, see if you actually like this whole performing thing. And then, you know, of course I loved it. And here we are. <laughs> so... 
Exactly. <laughs> so what was one of your most memorable experiences from when you first started acting? And when did you realize that you had a passion for voice acting specifically? One of my favorite early experiences. I mean, I've, I've had, I think, I don't think there has ever been really a job that hasn't been good. I mean, for the most part, and that's, that's, you know, a lucky thing to say. I've been lucky enough to work with fantastic directors and, and, you know, patient kind of directors with kids, uh, and work on good projects with, you know, wholesome people. Like, thankfully it's, it's all been positive. So I think, you know, early on I did a commercial for Dream Glow Barbie, which I actually just talked about on my on my Instagram a couple nights ago. It was hilarious. And it was an international Mattel commercial. And so they made it into like all these different languages. And it's me like jumping into blankets and like holding up this Barbie and being like, so soft. It's absurd. But it's it's yeah. so fun. Um, and so that was one of my that was my first commercial job. And it was an absolute blast. And, you know, I just it feels like another world at this point, you know, I'm in my mid twenties. And that was when I was like six. And I was like, wow, that, that happened 20 years ago, basically. That's so so long ago. Yeah, man, the, the late nineties, early two thousands, man, a different world. So I, I'm, you know, that's kind of the earliest professional, professional memory. That was just so much fun. It was, it was a great day. Uh, and voice acting kind of happened because I started to look awkward. My, my teeth were kind of all falling out, and I decided to cut my hair. And I was going through those, like, you know, an, an awkward transition phase at around eight years old. I was like, oh, okay, she's – some things are changing. She's growing. So I wasn't as, like, commercial-friendly um, at, at the time. So my agent was like, hey, we're opening a youth department for our voiceover section, whatever. Yeah. And yeah. are you are you interested? And my mom's like, heck, yes. She's got a great voice. You know, I can – I can sing, I have a relatively clear tone, I can take a direction, all these things that are like, yay, we like that for kids, you know. So I kind of just started because I wasn't booking as many commercials anymore because I went through an awkward growing phase. And then it really, really hit because, back to this wonderful audition anxiety, voiceover auditions, you're in a booth. You don't have to look at anyone. You can make all sorts of faces and sounds and, you know, look you know, presentable, but you don't have to look a certain way to match the role. It's all about just having fun with these these characters and these lines. And so I, I think I just thrived in that environment a little bit, especially, you know, as as a young person in, in an industry that was still relatively new. Because kids in acting, I mean, first of all, Hilary Duff was kind of aside from like Shirley Temple and like a couple other exceptions, Natalie Portman, Hilary Duff was the first one to like really make a whole career with like singing and movies and a tv show and like a clothing line like all of these things that were kind of related to her as a kid actress um and so there weren't really a lot of kid voiceover artists either so it was kind of serendipitous i suppose it was a budding industry and i was looking for a new avenue for me to work in and it kind of just worked out really well and so that's how it kind of started. So yeah. what are some of the biggest difficulties that voice actors face that most people don't know about? I think it's really hard to get feedback on auditions because a lot of times, I mean, I, I used to go in person when I was younger and when I could. But even still, a lot of places don't have auditions like in their studio. They, you know, you can go to your agent and use their studio on you know, on their lot. And then usually the recording guy gives you like some direct directions based off of like what he hears. But it's really hard to know if you're what they're looking for. 
And for me, I think it's frustrating because it's like, okay, I could sound the way you want and be right in the pocket, or I could sound a little bit different, or maybe I'm trying an accent, or the way I read it is, you know, a little different. But if you gave me two notes, I could change my my delivery completely and, you know, be what you want. And I always have that question of like, okay, if I would have just said this differently, if I would have spoken a little bit slower, or like been a bit more bro-y, or maybe more high-pitched, like... Would you have liked that? And so in my head, I'm like, oh, I want some sort of feedback and then to like show that I can do it for you, <laughs> you know, and that's not really a chance you you get. I mean, you typically if they like what they kind of hear, you could get a call back and maybe it'll give you a note. Um, but you usually don't get any feedback from the first submission that you send in. And a lot of times it just goes into the ether and you never hear back and you're like, cool. Was that crap? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I, I guess we'll never know. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely kind of an interesting side of voiceover auditioning specifically. Because uh, usually in the room for everything else, they'll if they just really aren't vibing or maybe they've already cast it, you do it once and then you just, like, leave. And you're like, okay, whatever. They've got something else going on. But typically they'll give you a note right there and just be like, okay, great. Let's try it again. This second part, you know, give us a bit more excitement and then you know at the beginning just you can like tone it down a little bit and then you're like oh great a note I can show you how I can take direction and that's really helpful um so you don't really get that as much in voiceover auditioning and um aside from that I just think it's the industry has gotten so big and now so many people are are able to voice act and everybody can get their hands on a pretty good microphone and work from home and it's it's just kind of a tricky industry to get into I think just because so many people are in it now and even for me I haven't I've worked I did one job this year for like an MTV promo and that's it and I've been auditioning it pretty pretty consistently and I haven't booked anything and it's just kind of like oh wow okay I went to college and then went to New York and it was like okay it's been too long. Who are you? No, I have to like start all over again. I'm like, oh my gosh, I did, I did so much. I'm so used to being in the booth, and I don't know. It's just kind of crazy how how fast things move if you don't stay with it. So, those are the two most difficult things in my head. Uh, just that you kind of have to work really hard to get into it, and then maintain that traction. And then you know, auditions, you don't really get feedback. So, I would say those are the two toughest things as voice actors. Definitely sounds difficult. Mm-hmm. So moving on to questions about Avatar specifically, did you watch Avatar before getting cast this off? And were you aware of how popular the show was before you were cast? No and no. I did not have cable TV because uh, I, I was one of those reading books children and, you know, play on the trampoline. And we, you know, sometimes watch Sunday morning cartoons and, you know, mainly had VHS tapes. Yeah. Anyone remember those? Uh, VHS tapes of like... You know, Winnie the Pooh and like some classic Disney stuff, um, but we we did not have cable, so I did not know what the show was. I didn't actually know what most of the things I worked for uh, were, and I, I think it's kind of simultaneously a blessing and a, a, a not a curse, but just kind of I don't know. Whenever you talk to fans, if you don't know what you worked on, they're kind of like, oh. You're not as excited about this as I am because you have no idea what it is. So it definitely was nice to do a lot of it as a young person and then, you know, kind of watch it later and be like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> because then I, I feel like I got both sides of that. So I yeah did not watch it until and I mean, we knew everybody in the cast knew what was going on, though. We felt like we watched each episode in the studio because most of the time they had the animation up on the screen, at least a working 
you know, working animation, if not finished. So we kind of knew what was going on. We were sent the script ahead of time, so we would read the script. You know, like, it was not completely in the dark. But I, I didn't watch it really until, like, all the way through. Until, um, I think from start to finish, without stopping, without just seeing, like, a random episode, probably last summer. I don't oh, think wow. I'd ever seen the whole thing all the way through. And then, of course, this year when it came out on Netflix. So, <laughs> And it, like, blew up again. And everybody's yes. talking about Avatar again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which has been a blessing, honestly. So what was a typical day recording lines for an episode of Avatar like? Was the atmosphere laid back or, like, strict? And were you treated any differently because you were one of the younger cast members? It was, first of all, definitely laid back. Oh, my gosh. this this The crew for this was absolutely relaxed every single time. Yeah, I don't think I was really treated that differently. I mean, I will, not, not to, like, pat myself on the back or anything, but I was a pretty good kid for kind of the industry. I, I listened pretty well. I was I was usually able to adjust any anything that I was saying um, based off of like one direction, maybe two. And so, you know, I don't think I was given any really like treatment of like, okay, like we're going to make sure to record you by yourself and we're going to like speak really slowly and like you get more breaks. Like I didn't, you know, need any of that. Typically sessions were 30-ish minutes to an hour, depending on, you know, how much we had to get through. And typically, even if Toph was in, you know, the whole script, we would be able to get through it in, like, 45 minutes. No problem. And part of that is because of Andrea, who is a fantastic director, and she just probably knew... (laughs) She knew how to handle everybody and how to articulate what she needed and what she wanted, and that's, you know, it takes two. It's not just me being a, a good actress. It's her being a great director. So that was... It was always great. She was always so, so kind, always very calm in her delivery. So anytime I would do something, she'd be like, okay, that was great. I feel like the positive <laughs> positive reinforcement is always always really helpful. So she'd be like, okay, that was great. Uh, can we do that again? More like the, the last time, you know, you give me three different ways, like the third time you did it and just give me three new ways. And I'm just like, sure. You know, that's kind of like a stereotypical direction to receive. Um, so yeah, that that's pretty much a standard day. And then sometimes the kitchen right next to the studio had fresh popcorn. So sometimes I would have a little bag of popcorn with me in the studio because I was obsessed with it. And it was really, really good. <laughs> so what's your funniest story from working on the show? I don't know. This is kind of like random, I suppose. But I, <laughs> my mom and I being a single mom and deciding to move from the Midwest uh, out to California, it's a bit of a shift, you know, just in every way, shape, and form, pretty much. And so for Christmas, we had to get really creative because, you know, we wanted to give something to everybody. Um, but oftentimes, that would mean we went to the dollar store and just found, like, a concoction of something fun that we could give to everybody that was, like, unique and maybe we could personalize it, something like that. So we ended up finding these flowers you know where you like push your thumb in and then the flower like collapses because the little string is like loosened and then when you release your thumb it like straightens up again and so we found a bunch of those and so we decided to like make little stickers and say like you know happy holidays from like jesse flower get it it's a flower ha 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 and for some reason everyone loved these silly things they were like obsessed we put little like santa hats on like the flower petals so that they would be like holiday flowers and everyone was obsessed with them. And the sound engineer and Andrea, they, like, kept them on their desks. And I remember going back to, like, um, record Su Yin, Young Su Yin, in Korra in the third season. And it was, like, my junior year, I think. And I came back, and they were still there. And I was like, you still have these? It's Aww. been years. And they're like, we love them. They're so, like, bright. And they're just, like, a lovely little, like, 
I don't know, desk ornament, I suppose. And, like, the thing was, they didn't have, like, lots of stuff cluttering their desk. It was, you know, not a huge studio, but not a tiny studio. And so they didn't have, like, tons of things. So it was like, ah, yes, maybe this lovely little award and then maybe this kind of cool little rock lamp thing and then the flower. And it was like, I felt so special. And it was just so random that, like, we were so worried about, a present that people would like and we were like ah oh, this is so silly and then people ended up like really liking them so i don't know it's kind of funny i think they they're still kind of floating around nickelodeon <laughs> Aw, that's really sweet so do you still talk to the rest of the cast and which avatar cast member which of the avatar cast members are you closest with right now so i thankfully reconnected with a lot of them last year because i started doing conventions um kind of again i i did a couple conventions beforehand but I didn't really get into it as much because um, I, I, somebody reached out and was like, hey, do you want to do this convention? And I was like, oh, yeah, these exist. I mean, sure, I guess. Like, this sounds fun. Like, it's in, you know, California. And then Dante released his book um, from Rufio to Zuko. And he was in New York for a bit on doing a little book tour. And so I was like, I'm going to reach out and, like, try to say hi. And so I, I did. And then he was like, why don't we do, like, a joint signing on like Sunday while I'm here and we can just do it at this, you know, random shop. And I'm like, sure. And so it just kind of snowballed. And then Sokka, Jack, uh, and I went and did like a couple of conventions together. And then Olivia Hack joined as well. And she voices Ty Lee. And then thanks to the Honor Society streams this year, which is through Dante and uh, his friend Bridget, they host Twitch live streams where we watch a couple episodes and raise funds. It was at first for COVID relief and now it's for the Trevor Project. And uh, yeah, so we had different guest stars. We have Greg Baldwin and we have Gray and um, we just have all these wonderful, you know, Phil Marr, um, Giancarlo comes on. And so it's it's kind of great. I've reconnected with basically anybody who still kind of talks about it, Avatar, regularly and, you know, is is willing to be like, hey, what's up? Yeah, I voiced this person. Let's watch some episodes. Um, I haven't talked to Zach or May in forever. <laughs> Basically, since the since the finale, I haven't talked. spoken to either of them, so they're they're off busy doing their own things. But everybody else, uh, I you know been in decent contact with. I would say I probably talked to Olivia Hack the most because she is amazing <laughs> and I love her and I want to hang out at her house all the time when I finally go back to LA so yeah she's she's great yeah well I mean I, I feel kind of silly I feel like I maybe should have done it earlier I don't know I was so I was so young I, we didn't have Instagram yet we didn't even have Facebook yet uh, we were on the verge of getting Facebook but like not it didn't really happen yet and you know what was I gonna talk to these 18 year olds about I was I was 12 and they were like oh yeah we're gonna go to like a bar we're gonna go to a club I was going to middle school so yeah like, <laughs> There wasn't really anything to talk to them about. And so I feel like in college, I should have tried to like reach out and be like, hey, I'm an adult now. But I just, I was, you know, I was drowning at Yale trying to like figure out my life and do 1700 things as one does in college. Uh, and so, yeah, that was, it just, it finally, it finally happened. You know, last year, kind of everybody rolled back in, <laughs> into my life. But yeah, it is really cool that I, I get to kind of be in contact with everyone again. And yeah, you know be on a speaking basis where I can text and be like, hey, how are you? <laughs> so in your opinion, in your personal opinion, in what ways are you similar to like um, Toph personality wise? And in what ways are you entirely different? She and I both have 
horrible eyesight slash are blind. Uh, that's the, that's the first thing. And now I'm not claiming at all to understand the the lifestyle of of like being blind. No sir. Um, but it is funny because whenever I whenever I don't have you know my contacts in, it's it's very scary. I can't function. Um, so there are moments whenever I like first wake up and for some reason I can't find my glasses and people start talking to me and like. Or maybe my mom asked me something, or somebody's like, "Hey, look at this," and I'm like, "I don't know where you are." And I'm like, mm. "What? What's going on?" I'm, I'm sorry, I can't see. And so, um, yeah, there are just like a couple of those blind jokes that I fully relate to, and I feel like I've said at certain points. <laughs> um, I also like running around barefoot. I wish I could see as well as Toph does, but I I have two sides of me where I like high heels and like dancing in heels. Um, or I like wearing no shoes and running outside and like in the forest and climbing trees. So there are like two sides of me that exist and one of them is very tough and the other one is very like, I don't know, Azula? I don't know, Tylee? Ask somebody. <laughs> so yeah, maybe Suki. Yeah, maybe more Suki. She likes to, she gets all like, you know, prim and ready and then she still goes and, and is a badass. Um, so yeah, I, I also am not a descendant from a royal family. Uh, I wish I, I was, but I am merely a just common Irish woman. Uh, and I think that I've definitely, when I was, when I was younger, definitely more in tune with my emotional side than, than Toph was. But I think we both are very stubborn and I don't know, our humor is very dry. And a lot of times people don't even know I'm joking because I'm so dry. I've, I've had to wet my, (laughs) my humor a little bit because people take it seriously. And I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) it was a joke. Uh, so yeah, that's, there's a lot of, similarities and I like that I got to voice her at my age when you know she we were kind of a similar age because we kind of got to like grow up quote-unquote together in a way which is cool so yeah that, that was that was kind of neat but Mike and Brian were great with how they constructed their characters every single character was pretty relatable for for any age which is why I think it's so popular among kids and adults because they all have such a colorful kind of array of of sides of strengths and and weaknesses and desires uh, and you know I think that's kind of the beauty of it and I think that's the the goal that everybody strives for is to create an entire show where every single character is relatable to anybody in in one way shape or form maybe they're not your favorite but you understand who they are and where they're coming from because it's displayed in you know such a good way that's in an accessible way. And so I think they did a really good job doing that. I feel like I could have, you know, easily played somebody else. I probably, I wouldn't have sounded, I wouldn't have sounded the same. You know, I probably shouldn't have voiced Katara because that, that's a totally different vibe than than who I am. But she is the mother. She's the empathetic one. The one that kind of acts from her heart and had sometimes her mind kind of clashes and she just wants everybody to get along and she wants to take care of people and she wants everyone to be well and like they're, you know... People have those sides in them who, where everybody just kind of wants peace, <laughs> and that's what she wants. So I just think Mike and Brian were really, really great. I'll never stop singing their praises because they're geniuses. So <laughs> They did an amazing job at writing their characters. They really, really did. So do you have a personal favorite tough scene, line, or moment from the show, and is it important to you? Yes, I mean, many, but I love the library, the episode, um, and I also love Tales of Bossing Say. Uh, just because I think we get to see Toph in her more vulnerable moments in those two episodes. I also think her holding up an entire library is very impressive. Um, so I really enjoy that scene because 
you get to really see the kind of magnitude of her strength. She's holding up this entire building. And she's not used to failing. And that's the moment where she was given too much. She's like, I can either hold up this entire building or I can fight off these sandbenders. I have to pick one. I'm going to pick the one that's saving the human beings that I'm with as opposed to Appa. And you see that struggle and it's just, it's heartbreaking <laughs> for her as well. She's very, very upset. Um, and Tales of Bossing Say, where you kind of finally address that Toph is like, yeah, I'm, you know, I don't care what people think, but I'm also, I'm also a girl. And like, I like to be desired. I like to feel pretty, even though I don't even know what that means because I don't, you know, I can't see things the same way as everybody else, but it's definitely a little point of discomfort for her, I think, and something that she'll never really know. She doesn't know how she comes off, how, what she looks like, um, and based on just a world and probably, you know, things that she's heard her whole life of just how important it is to, to look right, um, it probably messed with her a little bit. So I, I think that was such an important episode to see and a good moment for her and Katara to kind of have a, a meeting ground, I, I suppose, because usually they're clashing heads. So those are my two favorite episodes. And as far as lines go, I don't know. There are so many one-liners. I mean, all of her blind jokes are great, and including the ones in the library. Uh, Melon Lord is iconic, of course, because she just kind of goes crazy. She really enjoys being just a terror to Aang. <laughs> Try to, like, solidify his bending. It's it's absurd. Um, I just think she has a lot of fun. I don't know. I'll, she's she's always fun. Every single line is, <laughs> is good. That's probably the best way to describe her relationship to, like, Aang or, like, any avatar. She just enjoys being a terror. Yes, she does. <laughs> so the Avatar fandom is known for shipping characters. What is your favorite fan parent if you have one and why? See, I love Suki. So I, I like Taka, but I don't want to like replace Suki with Toph because I like I like them together. I just also like Sokka and Toph together. So can there be like parallel universes where they both get a chance? Yeah. Um, somebody actually the other day was like, Suki and Toph, hands down the best couple. And I was like, fascinating hadn't thought of that but if you put Suki and Toph against anybody they there's no chance there that would be such a powerful duo because she is so capable um I just uh, yeah I think they could take on anybody because they're super tough so I don't know maybe like a, a Suki Toph fan because that sounds great <laughs> sounds like a real power couple right yeah okay so final two questions what is it the most difficult thing you've had to go through during your professional career, and how did you get through it? With, like, all of the wins, there's, like, an equal, if not greater amount of, of losses. And I think for other people and myself to realize this is, is helpful. Like, the number of times that I auditioned for things and didn't get them, and still don't get them, just, it's, it's so much greater than the things that you book, even if you're booking constantly. That's just a, a hard pill to swallow. Like, you're in an industry, I'm in an industry, where that's basic, that's my reality. It doesn't matter how famous you are. I mean, sure, yes, I'm, I'm sure Meryl Streep does not have the issue of being turned down from things at this point. No. But even, you know, Gigi Hadid, she gets turned down from modeling gigs all the time because she's not the right look. And they're like, oh, you know what? We actually used her in a campaign last year. We're going to find a new face. And so there are these, you, you have a just a list of constant no's. And then you get some yeses and you're like, great. And so you focus on those. But there is a lot of rejection. That's not personal. It's not like, oh, 
gosh, you're an awful actress. Never do this. It's just, you know, oh, you're not what they're looking for. And so you have to keep going. And so the keeping going part, which kind of ties into the life part, has been hard. And in college, there were lots of, as I'm sure, if you, and, you know, any of you listening have gone to college, it's tricky. And there are moments when you're like, what am I doing? And like, I'm changing everything 16 times. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And oh my gosh, I slept the whole day. And you know, there are just moments where you don't know what's going on. And it's hard to just focus on the positive things that have happened and keep moving forward towards those um, or because of those. And so yeah, it's, it's a tricky industry to be in. And so I would say that I guess that's kind of like the hardest part. Um, yeah. And also I think the fact that Avatar was on Netflix and you know, it was number one for what a month. Yeah. I think it was like a month, uh, yeah, a month and a half or something. A long time. It was, that was pretty wild. Uh, but that, that doesn't unfortunately reflect as much as I wish it would reflect on any residual payments. Because I believe with streaming, how it works is Netflix was like, hey, we want this show. And Nickelodeon's like, okay, cool, pay this much. They're like, all right, great. And they paid that, and then it's done. And so each of us, I think, I mean, it's been many, many months. And there's only been like a little bit (laughs) of a trickle down, like maybe a hundred bucks per episode. Um, And that's it. That's what we got for our show being back on number one for like a month on Netflix, being watched by millions and millions of people. And I think people assume that it's like, oh, she's fine. No. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm still like grinding away like a mad person over here because as much as that's great, and it's like, of course it's helpful, like it's not zero dollars. It's not a lot. Especially, you know, I'm trying to plan for the future, trying to stay for a house. You know, if I'm going out to LA, I'm, you know, not sure if I'll need to change cars, you know, gas efficiency, we will see. Um, But it's just kind of a a disconnect that even if you're a famous and like working actress, it, it doesn't mean that you have a lot. And that's another thing to get over because that's also the industry that I've chosen. That's just how it is. Um, and I kind of have to like be okay with that even if I'm in something that's super, super popular. So, yeah, kind of weird pills to swallow in the entertainment industry. <laughs> so final question, what is the proudest moment of your career or in your life and why? Oh, proudest moments. I think, and I don't know if this is, I don't know, healthier than, you know, picking one, but I I keep a collection of, of ups, <laughs> you know, of moments where I'm like, hey, that was really cool. Um, just because it's kind of nice to pause and just like, you know, spread spread your, your cards of like, hey, look at all these these cool things that happened. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm proud of a lot of things. My mom is, first of all, a gem. I love her so much. Uh, she is the best mother for me. I know everyone's like, I have the best mom, but I truly think she is like the best mother for me and how, who I am and how I am. Um, she loved being a mom and always put me first and just supported what I wanted to do. And so I got to just try lots of different things. And obviously without her acting as a kid would not have been uh, able to happen. So she's, she's the reason why. And I think we have a really good relationship. And so on a kind of deeper level, that's, that's something I'm really proud of because we, you know, my, you know, maybe junior year of high school, uh, you know, a couple of, a couple of years in college, it was like, ah, you know, I'm growing and 
you're doing your own thing, whatever. We clash heads a little bit, but we have a solid relationship and I love her and she loves me. And so it never, I don't know, it never got weird where she became like a stage mom or I became like a super dramatic kid. You know, it just never got to that. And I'm just really, really happy and like proud of both of us, I guess, for like being great with communication and just staying super, super grounded through anything and everything um, because that that doesn't happen sometimes. Um, and it can, you know, get a little out of hand uh, and be a little hard to come back from. So I'm just very, very thankful for our relationship. Um, and as far as like, I don't know, career things, I'm proud that I got into U Chicago and Yale and that I was, I worked really hard to get into those places. I'm proud of myself for just moving to New York right after graduation without knowing anybody and just figuring it out because I wanted to. Um, auditioning my face off and taking dance classes and getting in front of Broadway directors and singing and not getting called back and doing it again the next day and just keeping keeping going, I suppose. That's like the biggest thing is that I, I didn't stop. I didn't say, all right, whatever, never mind. I'm just going to like, but I didn't just stop because, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't the main name on a marquee somewhere. Um, and I think that's, that's the biggest thing is to just keep going. So yeah, lots of things that I'm proud of along the way. And uh, I guess this year I wrote and produced and, and was in a short film. Uh, I wrote a song with a friend of mine for a musical that my high school is doing, which is great. And Avatar kind of hopped back up. And so I've been reconnecting with everyone there and like raising money through the live streams and started the merch line. So I just, I'm doing things. So that's, that's the biggest, the biggest achievement across the board is that I keep doing things, which is great. So as long as I'm doing that, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're going in the right direction. That's a lot of like really good achievements. And I'm like, I admire your perseverance to like, just keep going, like in spite of some of the rejections and the walls you've faced. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a part of it. And I think it's a hard part of it. And there've definitely been so many moments where I'm like, ah, why am I doing this? <laughs> why am I doing this? Um, but then, you know, I get a cool project and then I'm like, oh, this is why I'm doing this. So just the name of the game. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for being on the show. It was wonderful having you and I hope to have you back at some point. Yes, thank you for having me and, you know, stay safe and be well. And to everyone listening, you're listening to A Random Attempt at Comedy on WWSU 106.9 FM. Keep your knees high, Twinkle Toes. <laughs>